Hello and welcome to SimCast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name is Tony Jeremy. I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education at UEA Norwich. Hi everybody, my name's Lawrence Hill and I'm the chair of the simulation group in the School of Health Sciences at UEA Norwich. A very well, warm welcome back to the podcast. So Lawrence, today is part five of our six-part series on the online component of our Sim Instructors course that we run here at UEA Norwich. Yes, it is. And we are confident that these videos will equip you with the necessary understanding and theoretical underpinning uh, to really get the best out of our one-day face-to-face simulation instructors course. This episode is on delivering simulation. So, Lawrence, what are the learning outcomes for this The learning outcomes for this particular one, well, I think, first of all, before we get into the learning outcomes, it's probably worth saying that in part two, what is simulation safety, we considered the following learning outcomes, defining the basic assumption uh, made about learners undertaking sim, outlining the importance of and describing aspects of safety in simulation, and appraising the concept of safety in simulation. Um, Because effective simulation delivery really depends on keeping these in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So... This video is concerned with the simulation event itself. So by the end of this video, you should be able to meet the following learning outcomes. Understand the importance of a structured approach to simulation and to describe the phases of simulation delivery. Great. So let's start with that structure then. So for me, there's three key phases when we're looking at simulation delivery itself. So the event on the day, Mm -hmm. you've got the briefing component. Mm -hmm. You've then got the the action phase or the simulation event itself. Yeah. And then you've got the debriefing phase. Now, yep. debriefing is such a an important component and unique component in itself. We're going to cover that in part six. So today we're going to be looking at the the briefing and the action phase, the simulation event. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we say a simulation briefing, what what do we mean by a simulation briefing, do you think, Tony? <sighs> So there's a couple of things that that need to be considered. So there's briefing for the facilitators, and this was in kind of, we we sort of touched on this in sort of planning delivery of simulation. So that is a part, an important aspect of briefing that you need to consider as a simulation facilitator. But then there's the briefing of the the learners themselves. And Mm -hmm. I I guess that's probably what we're more interested in today is briefing the learners. Yeah, briefing the learners. So, So when we talk about briefing the learners, what is the purpose of that briefing, do you think? So it's to start off by, again, using that basic assumption to create that ethos of learning Mm. and to try and move away from that often predetermined idea that simulation is is an evaluation of performance rather than an opportunity to learn. And that's a key aspect of that briefing. Yeah, reinforcing that this simulation is a learning event and that you're not being judged, even though you might feel a little bit like it at the moment, it's not a judgment and we're just hopefully all going to learn something. And I think the, the, the important thing to remember as well is <laughs> as much effort as you put into that, you're still going to get people who think they're being evaluated and being judged. Mm. But it, it's not to say that you shouldn't put the effort in to, to sort of level that hierarchy and make people feel comfortable at the beginning of a simulation event. Yeah. So it's about, like you say, creating that um, supportive, nurturing learning environment, creating that ethos. What else is it there for? So I think it's an opportunity to preview and, and and to identify what is to be expected from the simulation event and again it's a i guess a common misconception that you have to hold things back you have to have that element of surprise to make the simulation event unfold in a way which means that 
you're going to get the best out of learners. And actually, it probably does the opposite. Yeah. Generally speaking, surprise is bad. Yeah. Uh, because it's unsettling, isn't it? Yeah, but you don't have to give the game away. So mm. if you've got a scenario which takes a, a certain path or route, you don't have to kind of spell it out. But for example, if you're coming to do a simulation scenario on how to do safety checks prior to surgery, for example, you know, thinking about my, my background, mm -hmm. it should be fairly apparent to the learners when they step into that briefing that, that is what, this is what the day is going to revolve around, yeah. aspects of that. Because it'll give the learners to use that prerequisite knowledge that they have and sort of tune in to, okay, this is the, the area that I'm, I'm going to be kind of focusing on today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if one of your intended learning outcomes for that simulation is for the student to be able to uh, address something that, that happens that's outside of the procedure, like something happens which m may feel like a curve ball, mm. say, that actually part of the, the briefing is about stating and, you know, uh, part of one of the outcomes might be to demonstrate how to navigate, you know, a, an unexpected event occurring during your WHO checklist. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and, and sort of saying you don't have to say what that's going to be, but letting someone know that there's probably going to be something that happens that you know you need to manage is really healthy. Yeah, because if you spend the time doing the basic assumption and then sort of saying, you know, this is an opportunity to learn, but then going, well, I'm going to trip you up at yeah. some point or another, you know, you're just losing the faith in those learners. Yeah, right and you're going to erode their trust in you as an yeah. educator in, in due course as well. So it's about kind of creating that environment, but also giving that preview. So they're creating that sense of mission. What yeah. am I trying to achieve in this simulation? What does, what does the, what are the intended outcomes? And that's something we've not stated yet, is it? So one of the, one of the purposes of that briefing clearly, is to clearly state what the intended learning yeah. outcomes are. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're going to put any slide up in, in a simulation event, it should be those learning outcomes, mm -hmm. nice and clear at the beginning and when we come back to it at the end at the brief at the, at the debrief as well revisiting those learning outcomes have we achieved what we what we're aiming to but of course if you don't do that at the briefing you cut you've got nowhere to start from mm. right okay so here's a here's a question for you we don't have intended learning outcomes when we go out into practice for placement why should we have them in simulation <laughs> but, uh, because your simulation is a curated event isn't it, it it's designed specifically to look at certain areas of practice and to present challenges for your learners to try and overcome without a learning outcome it's kind of just a potentially a free-for-all and mm -hmm. this is when we can kind of get sucked in by the allure of the technology and start going off on tangents and and then thinking well what did we actually achieve out of this mm. other than you know throwing lots of expensive kit and making learners feel really uncomfortable yeah, in the process. And spending time and resources doing that. Yeah, it's, it's you know, part of the reason we must have those those really clear intended learning outcomes is because this simulation event is situated within the wider curriculum. Mm. This simulation event exists for a reason, to help learners ultimately achieve some kind of proficiency or standard. And if anything, simulation then provides this vehicle to, go, to, 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 to introduce harmony between sort of technical aspects, which learners might have learn and develop but also non-technical aspects mm -hmm. as well so learning outcomes for me in simulation you definitely need to have some technical ones mm -hmm. but you also need to have some non-technical ones what was the team working like what was the decision making the prioritize prioritization <laughs> easy for me to say Communi to communication <laughs> skills yeah. ironically but yeah, exactly <laughs> but those and i completely and that's one of the uh the, the real beauties of, of simulation as a pedagogical tool is that there are very few other if any yeah, which ways kind of, of meshes it together. yeah exactly which combine that in a kind of realistic and kind of immersive manner
So, so, so stating those learning outcomes and having clear learning outcomes is important. Um, it's also uh, an important time in the briefing for you as an educator and also the learners to come together and develop what we call a fiction contract. Because we know in reality that simulation is not real. It is a, a performance. Uh, it is a curated event. But we want buy-in from both parties. Yeah. We want to just say, you know, there is going to be some limitations with the reality of things. We might not have all of the kit and equipment which we've got in practice or the, the mannequin might look like a plastic dummy. But let's just pause that for a moment and just mm. see if we can get sort of immersed in in this event that's about to unfold yeah. so that we can really get the best out of it for yeah. you as learners. And spending that time ensuring that everybody understands what their role is and how they how they like it to play out and whether they've got any questions about the equipment or the mm. environment or any component then it's an opportunity to ask those questions so that they can go in kind of with you know with focus to try yeah. and achieve something so a question for you lawrence if you've got a scenario where you're asking your learners to play different roles and let's say you're asking them to play roles outside of their their current level of ability yeah is that something that you discuss in the briefing in oh. terms of managing expectations yeah definitely so you know sometimes the the situation dictates that you need a a, a learner to play a role that perhaps is they maybe they don't fully understand mm -hmm. like perhaps it's another professional role yeah or perhaps they're being asked to play the role of a you know often of a more senior clinician mm -hmm. um so giving them some guidance as to what that looks like um and some kind of clarity about what the expectations are and also to let them know that as the facilitator if they come unstuck then they can nudge you they and, can nudge you yeah. and you can and you can kind of help out but definitely um you know giving the person a character role for example as well you know if someone's playing a patient you want to be able to give them you know some basic pieces of information they're going to convey to the whoever's asking them the questions but also just maybe a quick idea about what their character is and what yeah. their mood is so, on so that it's day. kind of setting the scene if yeah. you like yeah making it feel as real as possible within the confines of this is a learning experience and it is a simulation and of course your learning outcomes might be for example if you've got a third year student or learner that might be to explore these advanced roles but in your capacity as a third year student so it, there might be some expectation that you might fumble through a few things and it's about cutting slap it slack isn't it rather than just mm. pushing them in, in the deep end and expecting them to uh yeah to flourish in that environment and definitely and and also it's an opportunity the debrief to show that shared vulnerability so like i know i'm asking you to play the role of the critical care paramedic in this particular simulation um and I know that might feel a bit outside your comfort zone, but we've, you know, this is a new simulation that we're running today. So if you do need, you know, to, to take a bit of a break or if you want to get a bit of a steer, then, you know, I want the simulation to go mm. well as much as you do. So, you know, try not to try not to worry too much and just do the best you can. So having that shared vulnerability is important. And we've talked in a previous episode about psychological safety. Any sort of top tips from you in terms of how to help learners get comfortable before we go into the simulation event itself it's it, i think it's i mean for a start there's a really really good paper that i would recommend people read which is uh 12 tips for the pre-brief to promote psychological safety and simulation based education by somerville al and we'll put a link to that we'll put a link to that and i think going to the literature and reading what the literature says mm -hmm. on this topic is probably the most important thing but for me it's about the um the general manner 
of the simulation educator more than it is anything else um, is, is, is making it okay, being open, being mm. warm, being mm. supportive, mm. Clearly, clearly stating that and also embodying that basic assumption that I genuinely believe that yeah. you are capable, intelligent, care about what you're doing and want to improve regardless of yeah, outcome. Yeah, you've got, you've got to feel it, haven't you? You can't read inside, it like a robot. Off, off, off yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you really are capable. concerned about your welfare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't work. It has, it has, to, be, it has to be warm. It has to yeah. be, you, yeah, know, yeah. you have to hold the group. So another question for you. Hmm. We got the first scenario about to start. You got your learners there and you ask for volunteers and everyone is just sort of like, Looking oh, at yeah. how do you manage that one? I, I've I've got a few techniques that I use, but yeah, I I, I, I mean, humor is a good way of trying to yeah. trying to break that down, you know, and and sort of oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you're kind of conscious, you're like, well, you know, they're only going to get more difficult. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> so, I say. Like, just get the first one yeah. out of the way. That's the easy one. But, but it's that, the one that you can get wrong. <laughs> that's also problematic because what yeah, you're implying is that you're then going to beef it up for the for the rest of them, and I, and I don't think that's too good. But um, I, I tend to sort of just say, look, uh, you know, take as long as you need. Okay. Uh, the, use the promotion of silence. Yeah, exactly. Just allow that so social pressure build, to build. Build up that psychological safety and then just be awkwardly silent. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it does, it does, it, you know, it, it, there are all sorts, aren't there, that, that participate in simulation. And what yeah. you do notice yeah, after yeah. a while is it is the same hands that come up and they want to go. And these, these are the generative well, learners. This, this is the interesting thing. So when... If I de develop scenarios, I tend to start with the most simple one. Uh, it might be just a straightforward, and then we might add complexity as we go through. Mm. But the, the, the dichotomy is you often get the most capable people putting their hands up first. And so they end up inevitably doing the simple scenarios. And when it gets to the more complicated ones, it's the... Yeah, it's the less the people, certain. Less mm. certain, they struggle a bit more. Mm. So I've, I'm still on the fence as to whether I change my format around or... Yeah. But I, I do use that humour of going, well, the first one's normally the, the simplest one. Does anyone want to have yeah. a go with it? It, it? It's a tough one. And you've got to read the room because, you know, the person who might be your most, you know, vocal, confident mm. person might mm. not be having a great day. Um, so I, I think you have to kind of play it a little bit by ear. Um, and, we, you know, we have to acknowledge that not everybody is going to be involved in, in all yeah. of the simulations directly. Um, and I think as long as everyone's got a role, you know, as long as you're engaging these learners who are observing either directly or, or remotely, and as long as they've got purpose, then who actually does the simulation is not always the most important thing. No, no, absolutely. In fact, often not the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, who, who's actively participating. Mm. So the, the end of the briefing tends to be the start of the simulation event. And, and so normally it would be some kind of handover yes. of this is the simulation event that you're going to go into. And because it's some kind of handover, we suggest that you use some kind of handover tool to promote that S bar or, or whatever you're comfortable with with delivering and, and using, or what the learners might be using in clinical practice. It's a great opportunity to 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 practice that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it, it's a good way of kind of role modelling the use of effective handover techniques. Yeah. Uh, but also, it gives us a structure of simulation educators that we know that we're going to go back to. And the Research Council do this on advanced life support yeah. courses. Um, it works well, and it just it allows you to kind of create a succinct handover. Ultimately, that then kickstarts the action phase. And I always use it as one of my <laughs> secretly intended unintended learning outcomes which is to demonstrate that, um, you know, effective communication skills and people not always talking and, li and listening. So I'll do my S-bar handover and then I'll put another S-bar on the back of it, which is say back and repeat. So mm. I'll say, can you just say the main bits back so I know that you're happy with the scenario? Yeah. And you'll be amazed the amount of people who nod their heads 
uh, but are not only kind of half listening. And yeah. I'm going, this is, a, again, this is a perfect exercise in the importance of handover. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might be because they're so, you know, revved up about the fact they're about to do it that actually giving them the chance to sort of say, look, are you sure you, you sure you got this? Because, you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be good to just to make sure that you understand what's about to happen. And so that's, that's a really good tip. But that's, like that. that, that's kind of an artificial uh, representation of what might happen in practice. So... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's al always useful skills. So let's move on to the yes. simulation event itself, or the action phase. Mm -hmm. So, what's the role of the facilitator mm. once the simulation starts going? Yeah. So the for me, the the role of the the facilitator during the simulation is to kind of be like a, a curator mm -hmm. of the of the ongoing learning experience. It's it's to guide the simulation where possible. And this person, as we said in a previous episode, might be occupying multiple hats. They might be listening and observing and providing information potentially. They might also be adjusting observations on some kind of technological device. But primarily their role is to is to keep this event progressing mm -hmm. so that it has a kind of a story element to it that can then be unpacked later in the debrief. So it's about allowing the, the the simulation to to flow and to and to run in line with hopefully what was expected to happen so again just bearing in mind particularly in higher education we might be dealing with brand new learners mm -hmm. year one um the other end of the spectrum we might be dealing with people are just about to qualify what do you do when it doesn't flow yeah what do you do when things start getting clunky it looks like students are out of their depth a lot of the traditional uh, evidence would suggest that you don't interrupt the simulation. You try and let it unfold in real time. Mm -hmm. But there's times when you feel that you have to, as a facilitator, give a nudge. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, I think you you have to be... A part of me is always thinking, is, have I got the level of this right? Okay, yeah. You know, is, is this, <laughs> I, is this simulation yeah. situated right? You know, yeah. am I asking a bit too much? Um, and actually... Whilst I think there is value in if you're confident that the learner group have got or have had the opportunity to have all the necessary underpinning theory and skills practice, there may be some value in allowing it to play out and then unpacking that in the debrief and saying, look, you, you looked quite lost um, from quite early on. Can you talk to us about what was happening mm. at that time? Um, and it might be that actually the simulation has revealed a sort of latent gap in yeah. an individual's understanding and yeah. that that's actually a good outcome or a cohort or a cohort yeah, yeah. maybe there was a reason why this group are, are, have a deficit in this area maybe mm. there's been a curriculum reshuffle uh, and now they don't have the theory that you thought they had but if it's if it's obviously heading towards you know a kind of like a terminal kind of situation where it's just literally crashing and burning the flush has gone up the, well, I the, guess, I guess, I guess you, in that got, way, the simulation event's not working, is it? It's not yeah, unfolding how you'd anticipating. So you've got so to use your nuance as, a, as, a, as an educator to go, I'm going to just guide yeah, a little bit, exactly. get you back on track, and then I'm going to take a step back. Yeah, exactly. So, you, so you've got that option. You, you, can, you, can, you can step in to an extent and give, and give that redirection, give that nudge, and just keep it moving again. Mm. Um, if, if the kind of the, the stall has kind of caused an, an existential crisis in the in the learner it, it might be appropriate to stop it as well and say do you know what let's pick up these learning outcomes in the in the debrief 
Um, because th there might come a point where this learner is now just not able to engage with the simulation. And this is an extension of psychological safety, isn't it? Yeah. Why would you put a learner and let them just stand there and sweat for minutes, which will feel like hours? Hours. And just not say anything? Because it's not an assessment, it's an opportunity to yeah. learn. And some people would say take a time out. So, you yeah. know, and so, you know, I, I, uh, at a conference a few years ago, I saw uh, a... a um, presentation talk about tag team simulation mm. you know so like okay let's pause there let's see has anyone got any ideas who wants to kind of tag in and, and undertake certain, and, and participate and you can do that if you want to as long as you're prepared to compromise on the kind of authenticity of the sim yeah i think that needs to be built into your model doesn't it yeah this is a deliberate and, and then introduce that again as part of the briefing you yeah. know at any point if you feel you're out of your depth you can actually in this simulation you can tag in and now it's a bit like uh pausing like you would a computer game yeah. gamification is important and uh, and actually you know the study's been done on deliberately making simulation hard verging on impossible and then debriefing and then jumping back in to try and get a little bit further mm. each time like you do on a computer game yeah. level where you build up this muscle memory and you get a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further so it's not really a technique that i've used no but the conventional approach of just letting it run from start to end of simulation i think particularly in higher education is is, is particularly challenging to do in some situations yeah. because this is simulation as as pedagogical tool as learning instrument mm. rather than as simulation as diagnostic tool yeah. and understanding yeah, exactly yeah. what's happening out there in practice we, we can afford to do that and actually you know as simulation educators we have we, we are we are able to control time you know that's that's the thing you can just say stop and let's let's carry yeah. on again in a minute so we've talked previously about trying to let things run out in real time because there's a there's a value for that but it's also important as an educator to keep to time as well where we can because we haven't got uh, an infinite amount of time no so you again have to sort of the more skills you get the more you'll understand about where if we need to compromise on time fidelity we can do that and where it's important yep and then we need to finish and end the scenario so we clearly need to end the scenario don't we how would you end it? Um, there's a few ways that you can do that. Um, I've heard like phrases used, but generally I'm going to say something like, okay, everyone, thanks very much. We're going to end the simulation there. Yeah. Nice and clear. Nice and clear. You know, I've heard people using phrases like end X, you know, like end of exercise. That's quite a kind of um, perhaps a little bit more of a sort of ambulance service thing. Yeah, regimented um, kind of approach. Yeah, but But as long as there's a kind of a clear statement, that says, "Okay, thanks, thanks very much, everybody. We'll we'll take a we'll, we'll take a breather there, or thanks very much, everybody. We're going to stop there, um, and now let's move into the debrief phase." Yeah, good. Um, what tends to happen, and you know, what we we're not going to talk about debrief today, but what tends to happen, the point at which you end things, people start debriefing each other. <laughs> um, so that's so that's something as well that you know it, at the kind of transition phase between simulation action and simulation debrief there's often a little kind of gray area there where i'll say something like um okay thanks everyone i appreciate everyone wants to debrief if you can just start thinking about what your initial reaction is mm -hmm. and we'll get we'll get straight into those when we get to the debrief so there is a kind of a blurry line i think sometimes a little bit between action and debrief okay so let's just go back. We've talked about it a little bit already, but I want to talk about it a bit more. Trying to address things when things go wrong, mm. when we've got some issues. So there's different things that can go wrong, isn't there? And again, if we look at our site model, which we use when we were planning, any mm -hmm. one of those things could go wrong, couldn't yep. it? You know, we might end up being in the wrong room 
uh, and we kind of planned this simulation event to be in a realistically looking hospital environment actually we're in a classroom so that's an issue same thing with equipment yeah so issues to do with surroundings and equipment um require a bit of uh educator imagination yeah to fill the gaps in fidelity you'd hope that you'd understand that at the briefing phase and you can again preview that so yeah we don't have all the kit and equipment today but we're going to use what we can to the best of our ability that kind of thing yeah and, you know, you might need to have some kind of prompts or some triggers in there if there are, you know, key parts, for example, of a of an algorithm that, mm. that, a, that a student is or a learner is, is trying to navigate their way through in something and they've just kind of come unstuck. You, you Rather than stop everything and, right, let's have a chat, you might just want to say, ah, oh, the next step is, you know, have you thought about... Yeah. Just keep it moving. Because, because the moving. learners can often sometimes throw curveballs in as well that you hadn't been prepared for. And you can need to sort of steer back artistically to where you were. Mm. And it might just be a kind of a sort of a sort of a snapshot or a vignette of, oh, okay, this this has been done at this done, this done. We're now at this point in the simulation. Let's come back and see if we can readdress it. Yeah, and all the while when you're observing this, you're 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 making notes, mental notes or perhaps physical notes. Um about the things that are happening. So you're, you're curating this learning experience, but you're simultaneously trying to document things that have happened so that you can pick them up in the Which debrief. Which is pretty challenging. And, you know, and, and actually picking out some of the, in, you know, relation to the learning out, the intended outcomes and the unintended learning outcomes as you're going through is tricky. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a balancing act that, that you, you need to kind of perform um, to keep that plate spinning and to keep it moving along. So the other thing, again, we talked about if a learner gets stuck so there is a couple of techniques that you mm. can use to, again, be artistically vague with your guidance mm. so that you're not spelling it out for them. Yep. Uh, one of the things you can use is pace, which is uh, it's actually a, a progressional method of communication to deal with conflict, but it, again, works quite nicely in this situation. Mm-hmm. So pace, the P stands for probing. So let's use an example of uh, a learner forgets to put on oxygen at a key point and the patient is going to be hypoxic as a Mm -hmm. consequence. Mm -hmm. So you want them to try and figure that out themselves, but equally so if they progress too far into the simulation, it's going to get to the point where there would be detrimental effects. So it needs to be addressed. So probing, you might say, um, at this point, is there anything that might, you might intervene in terms of what's happening with your patient condition? Yeah. Okay. So you're just kind of, hinting at that you're not spelling it out at this point but you're trying to get the the the, the learner to problem solve themselves mm. if that doesn't work then you escalate up to a which is alert and you might say something along the lines of i just want to bring it to your attention that i think the the oxygen saturations are currently dropping uh you know is there anything you'd like to do about that? anything you'd like to do about that yeah and then oh, yeah, oh, I'll, I'll put the oxygen on. You'd hope Good that yeah, probably exactly. about 80% of people would, yeah. would if, if not higher, would would take that that little learning point in that cue to move on. But people behave in weird and wonderful ways. Yeah, the and, and, the, and, the, and the cognitive overwhelm, you know, in that particular situation might be such that actually that person just goes, yeah, 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 no, they're desaturating. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. So the next stage, this is, so I think of probe and alert as you're putting the ball in their court you're giving them an opportunity to problem solve without them getting egg on their face. Mm-hmm. But obviously in real <laughs> clinical situations, there is a point where you have to sort of start to escalate the the urgency. Yeah. So the next one is C, which is challenge. Um, so again, in this scenario, it might be words to the effect of the O2 mask is not on. 
the patient, I want you to tell me why that is yeah. the case. And then exactly. if they don't get that, we then to, we would, as you would in clinical practice, move to E, which is escalate or declare an emergency. Mm. And at this point we might have to say, okay, we need to pause here and have a, a micro teacher, a little bit of learning on it. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. And, and, and that is the beauty of simulation, isn't it? That you can, you can afford to do that. And actually if it's a safety critical point, then it's, it may be worth pausing the simulation at that stage. Um, all the while, though, as the educator, you're just, you're trying to make this judgment in your head of, you know, should I allow this to play on? Mm. To what extent should I allow this person to kind of get it wrong? You know, because there's there's pretty good evidence to say that actually it's helpful to rehearse getting things right. Would you ever involve the peers as part of this problem solving? Throw yeah. it out there to anyone else? Yeah, and do you know what? There's bound to be somebody who is sat in there thinking. I know exactly what mm. I should be doing, yeah. but because this is a simulation, I don't want to ruin. And because so you know, and so was Tony the person who the briefing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, there's an opportunity there for us to de-emphasise the fact that this one learner has you know forgotten to put the oxygen on, and have a conversation about distributed cognition and you know yeah. the role of team in, yeah. in promoting patient yeah, yeah. safety, and you know, and and it, and, we, we, and, the, and then we're down an unintended learning outcome about the team, which hopefully de-emphasises, you know, the error, if you will. I, I think error is probably a bit harsh in this circumstance. It's just an emergent feature of this student being overwhelmed by the situation. But you can then turn it into a um, a different kind of a learning point. Yeah. Uh, so why why would we why would we use this escalating approach? What, 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 why do you think there's value in that? Well, I think there's a couple of things i think from an educator point of view it helps you stop going straight into problem solving and tutorial mode yeah it's, it's very it can be very easy to just go you haven't put the oxygen mask on and if you haven't put the oxygen mask on x y and z is going to happen and you haven't given the learner the opportunity to to problem solve in the heat of the moment during the simulation of course mm. they might not be able to again because of the uh evaluation apprehension that they're getting during the simulation mm -hmm. but at least it gives them multiple opportunities to, yeah. to fix that problem themselves yeah exactly that and that that's that's the real benefit isn't it and it, it's that kind of first step as well in you know Kolb's experiential learning cycle you know that that concrete experience mm. you know if we if we kind of if we step in too soon we kind of slightly diminish the 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 reality of that concrete experience which then may have implications for, you know, abstract conceptualization yeah. and reflective observation later. They're going to be reflecting on the fact that they had to have a prompt rather than the fact that it took them slightly longer than they would have liked to make the realization themselves. And that's, you know, maybe marginally less favorable as a as a learning outcome, potentially. Yeah. But 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 you you need to have this preparedness of understanding if it doesn't quite go to plan because mm. I think one thing we can say about simulation is it inevitably something won't go to plan. Mm. There'll always be a degree of variability. No two simulations are the same. Yep. Um, and there's always a gap between simulation as imagined and, and simulation, simulation as done. Yeah. You know, like there's always that gap and it's, and it, that's, and it's because it's a complex endeavor um, and because, you know, individuals are unique and because like you say, it never runs the same way twice. You know, we've just got to be ready to sort of, sort of navigate that, yeah. you know, variation. But on the plus side, it gives you ample opportunity to unpack rich learning experiences, which you'll do in the debrief, which we'll come to in the next episode. Perfect. It's a little segue. So in summary, then, the, the, the role of the facilitator is pivotal in simulation delivery, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And the important thing there is 
you've hit the nail on the head. It's facilitator, not teacher. Mm. And as a facilitator, our inputs need to be subtle and dynamic and, and responsive to the situation as it emerges. Yep. You need to understand that not everything's going to go to plan. Mistakes are okay, both for you as a facilitator and also the learner. Uh, and if you can share those experiences, that helps to share vulnerability. Mm. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is to is to curate the learning experience as a simulation facilitator. And with one eye on the intended learning outcomes, but always a watchful eye out for unintended learning outcomes, which can be just as potent. Nice. Yeah, really nice. So we better go back to our intended learning outcomes mm. for this episode. We and they are to un understand the importance of a structured approach to simulation and to describe the phases of simulation delivery. Thank you for joining us uh, for this special edition of SimCast. We hope you've enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>